and I see many that I do know. And um, I'm reminded of Song of Songs, I believe it's 713, where it says something like this. It says, the mandrakes give forth their fragrance. Of course, you know the mandrake is the plant of espousal. The mandrakes give forth their fragrance. And over our doors are fruits, new and old. These, oh my beloved, we have stored up for you. So here, we have some new ones, new fruits. We have a lot of uh, not so new ones. Also, lovely fruits. And they're over the doors of fellowship for us to uh, both give and receive, give to the Lord and receive from the Lord something particular this weekend. And um, I'm just full of anticipation of the Lord's presence, his rich blessing with us, and his speaking to us. So I believe we all have our one-page outline. On the outline, you'll notice the general subject is a crucial subject in the entire Bible, well known to most, if not all of us. Oh, the tree of life. So, dear saints, the Lord's recovery is the recovery of the enjoyment of Christ as the tree of life, the recovery of the subjective experience of Christ. And so the tree of life, as you know, is a substantial matter in the entire Bible. Opening the Bible as it does in Genesis chapter 2 with perhaps, not the first, but perhaps one of the first shadows and representations of our dear Lord Jesus. The tree of life in Genesis 2, as you realize, was there in the paradise of God. And there was another tree there, which was forbidden. And these two trees together indicate that for us this afternoon, for us all of our days, there are two potential sources. So the tree of life is to signal that we are all to take the Lord Jesus as the fulfillment of the tree of life as our source. Then the Bible concludes with the continued uh, appearance, thank you, of the tree of life as the vine on either side of the golden street with the river of life flowing, indicating that the tree of life marks a line through the entire Bible, a line of life. And the source, the tree of life as the source, in Genesis chapter 2, consummates in Revelation 21 and 22 with a final goal and desire of God, the very new Jerusalem. 
How does the new Jerusalem come forth? Through the continued, augmenting, ever-increasing experience by his people of the Lord himself as the tree of life. So, our story is one of how much and how thoroughly we can, during our days, be on the line of life. If we're not on the line of life, we're on the... There's another line that leads to another consummation. And we aren't part of that line or part of that consummation. We're on the line of life. We're on the line of life. And so, these three meetings are dedicated to a particular aspect of our experience of the tree of life, which is, this aspect is intended to reinforce and strengthen our continuation without variance and without detour on this path, on this line of life. And so we will, we will explore this, explore this together. Uh, in his uh, close to final, I believe it was in his final year of life in 1996, Brother Lee declared, the church, of course he was in Anaheim, so he said the church in Anaheim, he said the church to me is the paradise of God. And someone who was there in that community, that locality, Anaheim said, Really, we have our struggles, and we have this, and we have that, and I have to confess that church in Anaheim is not the paradise of God to me. Are you sure that the church in Anaheim is the paradise of God to you? And he said, he said, the church in Anaheim is the paradise of God to me because in the church in Anaheim, there's the tree of life. And so in our church life, in our church, in our localities, we aspire that we and the saints would be in the experience of the tree of life to make the church life the paradise of God to us. So saints, um, I heard that the question was asked, well, is this conference a good occasion to invite new ones? Uh, and I heard that the answer was, yes. The tree of life is a good subject for new ones. And so um, <clears throat> I'd like to, before we begin, point out two particular um, uh, pitfalls that could uh, snare us here. One is that if you're an older one, Ask that question. Yes, I'm going to bring my new ones because the tree of life is a good topic for new ones. And then that one just kind of says, well, the tree of life, this is quite basic. And uh, I'm quite familiar with the verses and, and what is spoken regarding the tree of life. So this will be a good chance to review and relax. So, 
for you older fruits over the door, I'd like to point out that no, the principle in the divine scriptures is that while there are fundamental truths, there are no truths that are basic in the sense that, oh, now I've got it. But every so-called basic truth, every, every fundamental truth, as you enter into it and you touch it and are enthralled by it, it opens. It opens more and more and becomes something larger, greater, and expanding. So, for those of you who are older or uh, more experienced in the church life, these three meetings are not for you to relax. And I'm not expecting that you'll find them to be basic. The other pitfall is that as we go along in the outline, you may encounter things if you're a new one, and you might say, wow, what is that? Or say, now what is he talking about? I'm not sure I get it. So you might think that this apparently basic subject, as we get into it, goes, is too much for you. Dear new ones, you new fruits, you, everything that we speak today, so sublime, so supreme, so incredible, so indescribable, is fruit for you. It's for you to take, taste, and enjoy. It's not too much. By virtue of your regeneration, you have the capacity to receive everything related to the tree of life. Amen. So, um, shall we go? Shall we go on? Okay, um, let, uh, before we start in the outline, we'll talk about the particular aspect of the tree of life that we will touch upon. So, the two hymns we sang were one about how sweet the fruit of the tree of life is to us as we enjoy that fruit. We enjoy the Lord as the tree of life. And also the marvelous fact that we can abide in the vine, which we will shortly see, refers to the tree of life manifested. So the two hymns that we sang represent two aspects of the tree of life. One is that the tree of life is our food supply. God came to us, God came to us as our food to become our constitution, our element, and to cause us to know that we live a life absolutely dependent upon Him. This is an aspect well known to us in which we're versed. Uh, which we've had extensive ministry. Uh, but the theme for this weekend is the second aspect. And that is that, with full appreciation of the fact that the tree of life is to nourish us, is to supply us, 
is to meet our every need beyond our realization. Beyond our realization. There's another aspect of the tree of life, and that is that we were, at the time of our regeneration, placed, grafted into the tree of life to, yes, become the tree of life. To enter into the tree of life. To experience the tree of life from within. And to enjoy the tree of life as the territory and the confines of our living, we are to live in the tree of life as signified by the word in the title that we'll get to shortly, abiding. So we're going to, um, we're going to, uh, speak about a principle contained in John 15.4. A brief verse, and we only refer to the first part of the verse, which says, Abide in me, and I in you. Now, this crucial verse is in John chapter 15. And John chapter 15 is the chapter that allows us to connect the shadow and the type of the tree of life in Genesis chapter 2 with the Lord Jesus himself in his incarnation in human living uh, in the Gospels. So, in John 11.25, the Lord declared, I am the resurrection and the life. Then, not long after that, in John 14.6, he says, I am the way, the reality, and the life, making clear that the Lord was the life. Then, in John 15.1, he says, I am the vine. I am the vine. So I am the life vine. I am the vine of life in that particular context of the Gospel of John. And then, of course, as we mentioned a moment ago in Revelation 21 and 22, the fact that the tree of life that is along the river of water of life is on both sides identifies that it clinging as it does, following as it does the course of that river of water of life, that torrent of life, that that tree of life is a vine tree. Not a pine tree or just a fine tree. It's the vine tree. It's the vine tree. And so when he said, I am the vine, and he had said, I am the life, he is the vine tree of life. It's in this context then where he identifies himself as being the tree of life that he goes on to say, Abide in me, and I in you. And I in you. Indicating that, indicating that, again, that there's a whole additional and complementary aspect to our experience of the tree of life in addition to his taking him in as life and enjoying him as life. 
So uh, let's all read together uh, the title. Abiding in Christ to maintain our organic union with Him. So saints, by virtue of our regeneration, a union of life was formed between the Lord and we. And as that union of life was formed, we were grafted into, to use a horticultural term, grafted into the very God we were grafted as the tree of life. Now, we have a union with him. The title indicates and suggests that we could be in a situation where we don't enjoy that union with him, even though he's accessible to us as the tree of life, even though any time we would like, we can call upon him, um, uh, touch him, converse with him, enjoy him, and sense him in our union of life with him. This union of life needs to be maintained. Is your union of life and your experience of the Lord as life yet perfect? Are you yet at the station that he, yes, intends and, yes, has determined for you that you would arrive at a station of experience and interplay and intercourse with him where you're involved with him in every juncture of your life to the point that he literally is your breath? Have you reached this point? No, not yet. Not yet. But this is upcoming. When we have this, we can say that our organic union with the Lord has been maintained and is maintained. Now, the marvel, the grandeur of this weekend and of starting now to consider, there's a way, a practical secret how do you lay hold of this? How, what's the handle? The title implies that the way we maintain our organic union with him experientially for our satisfaction in his is that we abide in him. We abide in him. In other words, the application of John 15.4 is the key to the experiential fulfillment of what the Lord wants to have us with him with us and us with him as the tree of life. So, we need to see something and that the Lord intends and wants not just to satisfy us within, not just to transform us in our soul and eventually glorify our body in organic salvation. In addition to that, he wants to bring us into himself to live there. What a thought. What a consideration. Now, if you're older here, is this passe to you? Is this uh, something you've mastered? 
If you're new here today, is this something too high? Well, yes, it's high, but it's something that the Lord saved you for, and you're here as a new one to not waste time, but step right into it. Marvelous. Marvelous. So, but before this can happen in our experience, we have to be clear about it. We have to have a seeing. As you know, the spiritual principle is that what you see, you experience. What you don't see, you won't experience. And my wife helped me to locate the verse reference of a, of a little example in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 6.17, where Elisha, the prophet who himself was a picture of the Lord coming in his incarnation, was crosswise with the king of Syria, and a multitudinous army had come with the purpose simply of seizing Elisha and doing away with him. So the army comes, and there's, there's Elisha, and he, he looks out, and he's not ruffled at all. He's not, not concerned. But his, but his attendant is very concerned. There are hordes of people. There are hordes of, people, hordes of soldiers there, armies, not directed at an army, directed at Elisha. And Elisha, not concerned. And Elisha says, prays a little prayer. Oh, seeing his attendant being concerned. Oh, that his eyes would be opened. So then the prayer was answered. His eyes was opened. And he saw all around the horses, the chariots, the multitude in the heavenly, unseen, spiritual realm which Elisha saw all the time. And, as you know, of course, Elisha prevailed over this army. <laughs> in the marvelous story, you can read it in 2 Kings chapter 6. Anyway, this shows that there is a spiritual realm that is not seen by the physical eye and may not be seen apart from divine revelation and mercy by the spiritual eyes of the heart. And it's not until those spiritual eyes of the heart see this realm that this realm is experienced. So we need to see the realm of the Lord as the expansive tree of life in whom now we can enter and live for the entirety of our Christian life. Not only can, not only should, but must. Now, in the congregation, are there any believers? Any takers? Do you believe this? Amen. Do you want this? Amen. Well, this is what we're here for this weekend. Okay. So, <clears throat> we'll have, uh, these are brief outlines. We have three Roman numerals. In general, Roman number one will cover the secret and the dynamic condition. The secret and the dynamic condition. Or we could say prerequisite for our subjective experience of the Lord. Number two, Roman number two, will give us a specific uh, application of the tree of life in John 15, 4, showing us that the experience of the divine anointing and actually living 
in and with the divine trinity as we abide is fulfilled through this principle. And number three, uh, Roman numeral three, uh, will point about, will point to the inclusiveness of the realm of the Lord's being as the tree of life to meet every need of ours and take care of every detail in our living. Okay, so that's what we'll cover. And uh, dear saints, I'm just so excited about this. I can hardly just stand here. I almost want to somersault. (laughs) Okay, uh, Roman number one, I'll read it to you. This applies to all of us here and is a basic introductory point. It's a gateway into the experience we're talking about. So it says, We who have believed into Christ, John 3.16, receiving him thus as our Lord and Savior, are now in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30, And Christ is in us. Galatians 2.20 and 2 Corinthians 2. 13.5. So here we have represented the marvelous matter of our indescribable relationship with the Lord. From the time of our being, he began to um, cause to transpire with us the kind of relationship that is beyond human fathom in which two parties not only fall in love with one another, appreciate one another, do things for one another, communicate with one another, but move in to one another. And there live within one another. Now, could the human mind comprehend or consider such a thing? Never. Of course not. But this is the relationship that the Lord intends to fully consummate with you and I individually and corporately. And so, from the time of our regeneration, when we believed, we believed into him, John 3.16, and we received him into us. So... If I could just elaborate on this a little bit. John chapter 3, and to some degree, uh, another verse I'll mention, uh, focus upon our regeneration. So in John 3, 6, that which is born of spirit is spirit, indicating that our receiving organ our spirit is regenerated, comes to be joint, comes to be indwelt at the time we believe. Then in verse 16, as it mentions, when we believe, we believe into the Lord to receive him as eternal life. These two represent 
um, aspects of our relationship of the Lord in mingling. And yes, for some of you, the, the term of incorporation is known. Now, this mingling in this kind of incredible and indescribable relationship is to be shared, joined, um, matching, balanced. And so, at the time of our regeneration, at the time of our regeneration, He came into us and He brought us into Himself. Because it's hard to realize that He brought us into Himself, He supplies something in addition to the joy, the delight, the happiness that we we, uh, feel when we're regenerated and we realize the Lord's within. He then says, rise up and be baptized. And baptism is not only a testimony of what happened in his entering into us, but as you know, in emphasis, baptism represents our being baptized into Christ, into the death of Christ, into the Spirit, and into the triune God, into. So this baptism itself is to help us to comprehend that our relationship with him is not just personal and individual, but is personal onto corporate and an involvement where we find ourselves transferred, brought into he himself. Marvelous. So, um, I would like to refer here to what we call the principle of regeneration. The principle of regeneration states that the marvelous, indescribable sensations that you had when you believed. Is there anyone here who had registrations? Heard heavenly tones? Saw bright and vivid colors? Felt lightless and weightless. I'm describing for you now my regeneration experience. I experienced those things. I I don't know if you did or not, but I've heard many people say they did. Everything that you experience in your regeneration is pointing to what your everyday moments in your ongoing existence are to be. They're to, they're to, they're to be in this principle. And so, for the believer, from the time they believe, their life henceforth is to be a continuation, a development, and an enlargement of what they experienced at the time of their regeneration. Then, when we reach the consummation, we will look back. The confirmation of this is in Song of Songs chapter 8. We will look back and we'll say, wow, everything, all that I've experienced is the development of what happened when I first believed. Well, 
This is encouraging, right? Because we had a glorious regeneration. We had a what? Didn't you feel like you'd been taken to the heavens or something? I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't just. Um, we we had a marvelous experience at the time of our regeneration. This is to mark the starting point of a development that's to occur. Now, the reason I mention that here is that in that development, according to John chapter 3 and according to also John 1.12, where it says, For as many as received him, he gave to them the authority to be called uh, sons of God, to those who believed into his name. So in this verse, once again, we have, we have, we receive him as we believe, and we believe into him, we believe into him. So, we should have a balanced experience, you and I should, of enjoyment of the Lord within as the tree of life, and granted, we've got a ways to go here, we should have more, but if you consider Here's the degree to which you experience the Lord as the tree of life, satisfying you and feeding you and nourishing you within. And now, how about your experience of abiding in Him and living in Him as the tree of life? Is it like this? So, the point here is that this needs to, needs to match. It needs to match. So, <clears throat> oh, one, more, one more point here. Do you have the Lord's sweet presence right now? Do you have the Lord's sweet presence with you in general? The sensation of the Lord supplying you within. Do you have that? An important scriptural principle is, if you don't have that, don't blame the Lord. (laughs) It's totally up to you. And if you don't have a specific consciousness of the Lord in which your being is turning to Him, leaning to Him, Stretching toward him, if you don't have, if you're not in that experience, although he's within you as the tree of life, he can't feed you with himself as the tree of life. Your consciousness of him within you as the tree of life signals that you've given him permission to engage you and to be present with you and to start to flood your heart and your inner being and to make a difference to you. Thus, someone who's regenerated, who doesn't know the Lord's living within them, and who doesn't know how to contact the Lord, years, decades pass, and not much happens, even though the Lord, as the tree of life, is within them. So here's a principle. Our consciousness of the Lord, our consciousness of the Lord, and are attending to the Lord, gives him the permission to feed us and nourish us as the tree of life and to operate in our being. And we determine 
when that happens. Now, the same is true regarding our abiding in Him. If we are abiding in Him, but we're not aware that we're abiding in Him, then all the things that are intended to be released in your experience by the fact that you are abiding in Him are bound. And you don't experience them. But, if you are abiding in Him, and you're aware and conscious of the fact that you're abiding in Him, it releases and initiates those things happening. So, uh, this, these are important principles in our relationship with the Lord and in our experience, in our experience of Him. So, um, I'll just mention here, I was going to go here into um, Ephesians 4, 20 and 21, where it says that in Jesus, in Jesus, as the reality, we are taught and learn Christ. So, where do you learn Christ? Do you learn Christ uh, in a textbook? Of course, we have the Bible. But according to Ephesians 4, 20 and 21, you learn Christ and are taught Christ in him where the reality is. Ephesians 4.21 says the reality is in Jesus. Now you get into him and you learn and are taught as the reality is in Jesus. This indicates, this indicates that uh, we have a learning of the Lord, a gaining of realization regarding the Lord, caused by our consciously realizing that we are to abide in Him. Abide in Him. Okay. So now we'll go to Roman number one. And uh, here we have introductory verses. Now I'll spend most of the time here in this Roman numeral um, on the Roman numeral itself, and then we'll go through just read through the sub-points. So, this says, <clears throat> we who have believed... No, uh, oh, sorry, sorry. We'll, I'll spend most of the time on point A, sorry. Point A. <clears throat> so, A says, the Lord is the Spirit. Hallelujah! Amen. And the Spirit witnesses with our spirit. Hallelujah! And he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Now, these may not be common verses to believers in general, but by the Lord's mercy, we know these verses, right? We know these verses. But let's recount how we know these verses or what we know about these verses. One, two, three. Second Corinthians 3.17, then Romans 8.16, then 1 Corinthians 6.17, with a view to the fact that we want to experience the Lord as the tree of life by abiding in Him. And by abiding in Him, He will abide in us and increase His supply to us. So, am I right that in your experience of 2 Corinthians 3.17, where it says, now... The Lord is the Spirit. 
What spirit is this? Or what do you know about this spirit? Well, in the context of this, this, this matches uh, chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, where it refers to the spirit being the spirit of life. So, now the Lord is the spirit. Our emphasis tends to be that the Lord as the spirit is the spirit of life indwelling us, being life to us. But, now the Lord, and who is the Lord here in the context in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? The Lord is Jesus Christ. Now the Lord Jesus Christ is the Spirit. This truth also contains the aspect, complementing His being the Spirit of life, that He also is the one who released from the flesh, became the Spirit, the pneumatic Christ, who now, no longer limited by the flesh, has a profile or margins that are limited and defined. He has become the dimensionless spirit. When I say dimensionless, he's be- he has become he has become he has become the expansive spirit, the one who, having become this, it tells us in Ephesians chapter four that as such he filled the entire universe. He filled the entire universe. So in his resurrection, yes, he became the spirit of life to regenerate us, and he became the consummated spirit of the pneumatic Christ for us to be able to enter into and dwell in. As this consummated spirit, he is the pneumatic tree of life into which we've been grafted and to which we belong. And now, where we are to abide. Now, please, new ones, don't think that uh, this is beyond you. In your regenerated spirit, you have the capacity to understand this. So, um, this is another dimension, am I right? Of now the Lord is the Spirit. Then, the Spirit Himself witnesses with our spirit, Romans 8.16. <clears throat> so, in our understanding of this, we have the fact that the Lord has come into us, Galatians 4.4, 4, as the Spirit, He's come into us. Now, within us, He is there, and He is ready to witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Amen. He's there dwelling within us. This is the aspect of our taking the tree of life within into us, into us, okay? Now, the aspect of Romans 8.16 that corresponds to this, now, not replaces it. This is right. The Lord's within us witnessing as we give him opportunity. He's within us witnessing. But corresponding to this is the fact that our spirit in Romans 8.16 is a plural spirit. 
if you look into the original language, it doesn't say it does it doesn't say that the Spirit Himself witnesses with our spirits. It doesn't say witnesses with our spirits. It says witnesses with our spirit. Oh, how many generations and centuries passed before this truth became revealed? Our spirit here is the spirit that was formed when the consummated spirit that fills the universe came into us as the spirit of life and brought us into himself as the universe. Causing our spirit joined with His to be part of what we could call a corporate spirit. So, in John chapter 4, in uh, where the, Lord's, the Lord declares, the day is coming and now is, when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will they worship, and then in verse 24, he says, he says, God is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truthfulness, indicating that now Jerusalem is replaced by spirit and all the revelation in the life study of Ephesians to indicate that the large and expansive, uh, the large and expansive Old Testament physical material city of Jerusalem was a foreshadowing of a large corporate spirit where God's people are all to gather and to be one and where he's placed his name and his person. And so now, now, when we call on the Lord and touch him within, we not only enjoy him as the tree of life to nourish us, we are to pass and enter with him into himself, to enjoy him from within himself as this corporate spirit and to live there within him. If you realize in your daily living that that is what is, in, is transpiring, this can and should revolutionize your experience. So what I've just described is 1 Corinthians 6.17. He was joined to the Lord as one spirit. So we understand that as the Lord has come into our spirit, mingled with our spirit, made himself one with our spirit. Hallelujah! This is right. But the one who came into your spirit came in not as a life parcel, not as a life packet as the spirit of life. He came in so... The question is, when the Lord came into you in your regeneration, did he come into you in his entirety or in part? What do you think? He came into us neither in his entirety (laughs) nor in part. He came into us as a flow. So he came in, he came in, and he's indivisible. So it wasn't that he came in as a part. 
But it wasn't that when he came in, the entire universe was able to come in, but it began to come in. It began to flow. It began to flow in and through. And through that union, he rendered entry for you into himself as the spiritual universe in which we are to live. This is an aspect of our being one spirit with the Lord, our entering into him as the spirit universe. So, dear saints, I hope this is enthralling. Now, I'll read to you the remaining subpoints, and these will point out that when we embrace, when we see this, when we're conscious of this, when we embrace this, then our inner experience of the Lord skyrockets. Makes a quantum leap. It's, called, it's changed. It's changed because of the principle in John 15, 4, if you'll abide in me, then I experientially am able, enabled by you to abide in you. So let's see this here. Point B says, the one spirit is the divine spirit dwelling in our human spirit. And these two spirits are organically joined and mingled together to be one spirit. And point C, our organic union with the Lord is illustrated by the branches with the vine. So our union with the Lord, our grafting with him as uh, one spirit in 1 Corinthians 6.17 is illustrated by the Lord the branches with the vine tree in John 15. We are the branches of Christ, and he is the vine tree of life. D, just as the vine tree is in the branches, and the vine lives through the branches, so Christ is our life, and we are his living. So as branches of his grafted into him, then he in our living is able to live out, live out through us. And the point E, in order to maintain our organic union, our life union with the Lord, we must abide in him so that he may abide in us. So we could highlight the, the phrase there, so that, so that. Now this should... This should scream at you. This should speak loudly to you. This means that our abiding in him is necessary, prerequisite. It's required for us to have the full experience of his abiding in us. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, this is a, a powerful and governing principle in the scriptures and in your experience of Christ. So, we hope to make this uh, applicable through the rest of uh, apply this through the rest of the weekend. Okay, so <clears throat> before going on to going on to two, he lives out through us, and we live in him. As we live in him, he lives out through us, and this is the relationship that he intends in what appears to be a contested, degrading, corrupted, tumultuous earth and world, with all kinds of things happening. In the midst of this, a spiritual reality as the new creation is developing 
as a result of believers who have this realization. Where in the midst of this, there are persons who are living simultaneously and concurrently in this degrading world situation. And meanwhile, they realize that their reality and where they are living is they are living in the vine. They are living in this consummated spirit. So we'll look at this from a number of angles as we go on. Roman numeral 2 says, to abide in Christ is, oh, saints, this is what the Lord wants. This is, this is the relationship with us He's longing for. He's been dreaming about. Amen. He's been dreaming about this. To abide in Christ is to dwell in Him. To stay in Him. Experientially. To remain in fellowship with Him. That, notice the underline, that we may experience and enjoy his abiding in us. In other words, if we would like to simply enjoy his abiding in us, we'll experience something based upon his mercy and based upon his his grace to us. But the principle he's established and by which he, he operates is that if you will allow yourself to enter into a realization that you're living in him, enabling you to apply him, encounter him, and experience him, in everything that you do, you won't have desert-like expanse, expanses of time where it's like you and he are in different planets. Where you go two weeks and you think, I didn't experience the Lord in these two weeks. Well, you feel bad about that. He feels extra bad about that. As we live in him, common everyday experiences are mobilized, recruited, and applied to be experiences of Christ to the point that we can be face-to-face with him, enjoying him breath by breath. Do you think that's what he wants? Yes, that's what he wants. That's what he wants. Now, will he get it in you in your lifetime? Hopefully so. And younger ones, praise the Lord, you have more time to explore this and develop this. <clears throat> so Roman, uh, okay, I have in my notes here <clears throat> to include something here. I, I hope this is okay. <clears throat> you may ask, How does this work out? Could you please give an illustration? Help us to understand how we actually live in the consummated spirit of the pneumatic Christ? Okay, so here's here's an illustration. Exodus chapter 35. The tabernacle has been revealed. It's ready to be built. There's a call from Jehovah through Moses to all who are wise in heart. To bring the gold, silver, bronze, different kinds of threads of different different colors. For the sisters to bring their pendants, their earrings, their as 
and, and, to, and to offer them up as heave offerings. And the people responded. And all the materials came in. And the, and the tabernacle was constructed successfully as a result. So, this is a picture. So now, we are building the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the incarnated and now integral God into whom we are to enter and we are to live. Now, what do we have to offer for the building up today of the incarnated God, incarnated and now processed and pneumatized God as the tabernacle? So here's an illustration. One of the things the sisters were to bring was their pendants. A pendant, I guess, would be something like a a pin or a Necklace. Okay. So, let's say we have here Sister X. And Sister X has a pendant. And it's pretty and attractive. It goes well with her decor, with her her fashion. And um, so, she would like to, she would like to, she would like to give something for the building of the tabernacle. Whether she has something or not depends upon the following. Regarding the pendant that she wears, let's say she simply put on that pendant in the morning and considered how it went with her other clothing. If that's the case, she has nothing to offer for the building up of the tabernacle, for the building up of, of, of today's tabernacle, including the pendant. But let's say, let's say she took that pendant in her hand and said, Lord, my pendant, what does it express? Are you happy about it? Shall I wear this today? Does this express you? She feels good. Yes. So she puts on the pendant. Now, her consideration and her dialogue with the Lord regarding that pendant was a heave offering that then became material for the building of the enterable pneumatic Christ today as the tabernacle. Because her interaction with the Lord regarding her pendant brought that pendant into a divine and human interchange of fellowship. In that divine and human interchange of fellowship, he, the Lord, was able to, well, maybe I should say it right, she she was able to enter into him, he into her, over the interaction regarding this pendant. Now we could say, in the true tabernacle, in the consummated spirit as a realm of living. Now there is, don't misunderstand me, there's a a pendant there that wasn't there before. (coughs) Now, I'm not suggesting pantheism. I'm not suggesting that that pendant becomes something divine and mystical. 
That pendant remains in the material realm, but the fact that, listen, saints, the fact that she interacted with the Lord regarding that pendant caused an interaction between her and the Lord in which that interaction brought that kind of dynamic related to that pendant into Christ himself as the pneumatic spirit, as the, as the pneumatic Christ, and brought an experience into that realm, making it adorned, lovely, beautiful, built up. Likewise, likewise, her husband, the brother, what about the tie? So there's a similar interaction about the tie. About the tie? Well, as a result, now there's a quote, in a sense, a divine fact in the divine and mystical realm of the interaction that the brother has with the Lord regarding his tie that will be there not just for today, but for eternity. That interaction is brought into this realm. So, take, take what I've described. Take the interaction between the brother and the sister. Do they interact as husband and wife, or do they interact in and with the Lord? As they interact in and with the Lord, there's the, there's, there's a lovely conversation between a married couple that now is a spiritual reality as a spiritual experience of spiritual gold that is now enriching and beautifying the realm of reality that will become eternal realm in the New Jerusalem. Now, extrapolate this that I've described to include your daily experiences, and this is what we're talking about, about abiding in Christ. Very practical. Intensely practical. Now, the, the reference verse here 1 John 2.27 is, is of um, particular importance because it ends in the words, abide in him. So you know that this verse, uh, 1 John 2.27, is, is in regard to the divine anointing and the teaching of the divine anointing. So what is the teaching of the divine anointing? The teaching of the divine anointing is abide in him. And then, and then once we abide in Him, according to John 15, 4, our abiding in Him allows us to have the divine anointing as He abides in us. But the key is, the initiating thing is that we be conscious, desirous, that we abide in Him and bring our varied experiences into the, into, into, into this realm. So, we have a book. Living in and with the divine trinity. Notice that it isn't living with and in the divine trinity. Have you read this book? Tremendous, amazing book. But the, the, the sequence of the prepositions is crucial. Living in and with the divine trinity. So our brother who authored this outline points this out here in this section and says that 
First of all, we have to live in the divine trinity. If we're willing to live in the divine trinity, we give him license and opportunity for him to live with us and out of us. In other words, if he wants to live with us and out of us, or we want him to do so, he may not have the ground yet, based on, on John 15:4a, because we didn't take the initiative to live in him. Marvelous. Marvelous. Now, um, there actually is a lot to say in these uh, related verses, but uh, I probably have to skip over that. Uh, maybe, maybe we can talk about that on another time. The subpoints under under A say, to abide in Christ is to abide in the Son and in the Father, and this is to remain and dwell in the Lord. Point two says, to abide in Christ is to abide in the fellowship of the divine life, and to walk in the divine light, that is, to abide in the divine light. So, dear brothers and sisters, we'll have this again in a, in, in a subsequent outline, but we treasure, we treasure the sequence of the fellowship, the divine light, and the cleansing of the Lord's blood that we have in 1 John chapter 1. The point here is that these occur in a realm. Light shines in a realm. The fellowship in 1 John 1.3 is in a realm. And you initiate that fellowship and sustain that fellowship according to how much you want to and experience and enlarge, enlarge this realm. So if you want the experiences of fellowship, light, and cleansing, it's not that. It's not that you seek light and then through that light you get into God and you realize you're sinful and you apply the precious blood and you get into God. No. You get into God. There's fellowship. In the fellowship, the light shines. You realize who you are, how much you need the, the cleansing, and the blood cleanses you. It's an experience in the divine trinity. Then point B, if we live in the divine trinity, we can then have experience of the Lord living out from us and living with us in our daily living. So B says, to have Christ abiding in us is to live with the divine trinity. So, him abiding in us is a result, B, this point B, is a result of point A. So, because we abide in him, now he abides in us, and we're able to live with the divine trinity. Uh, and so, the blessings included in each of these verses, which are marvelous, but I, I, I don't have time to get into them, mainly indicating the Lord's preciousness, his presence, his sweetness, his freshness, all this results from our abiding in him. Then these are released to us. Subpoint one says, to have Christ abiding in us is to have the words of Christ abiding in us for the bearing of remaining fruit to glorify the Father. So, our increase, our productivity, also our fruitfulness in the gospel also is a result of our abiding in him. As we abide in him, 
His words abide in us. As His words abide in us, we have ready words for those who need to hear the gospel and edifying words from us. Then point two says, to have Christ abiding in us is to have the spirit of reality as the presence of the triune God abiding in us. So the spirit of reality is within us. According to John 16, uh, 14 and 16, the spirit of reality is within us. And we treasure this spirit of reality, making the Lord real to us. This point indicates that if we want the Lord within us to make the divine things real to us, this is a result. The spirit of reality is a result of our abiding in him. This links back to Ephesians 4, 20 and 21. It's when we're in Jesus as the reality that we learn Christ and are taught Christ as the reality is in Jesus. So, saints, do you see? We're touching on part of my poor delivery, my poor communication, but we're touching on here something that is incredibly great, that offers and promises to give you an entirely new Christian, a, a new, a new vista, a new panorama of your Christian life. As you endeavor and explore this matter, as I tried to illustrate, of abiding in Christ, there's no such thing as the experiences of the byproducts of death within us. Depression, discouragement, being down, being irritable. Anger, pride, ambition. Because he within us abides in us and is able to release all that he is, swallowing these things up. If we're living in him, then he's able to abide in us and and deal with these byproducts of death. So we have a few minutes, saints. We have about eight minutes left. All right. What time is it? 433, thank you. Um, In Roman numeral three, this is a big, big help. This Roman numeral is a big, big help into what, what are we talking about? How do we, how do we live, abide in the Lord? And what does this look like? An incredible revelation here is that in order to abide in Christ, so that he so that he may abide in us the gospel of john reveals that we must take him as our necessities take him as our necessities as our life as our breath as our water as our bread and as our abode okay now our physical necessities refer to our physical life in our physical life, in our physical life, we need, of course we need life. We need breath. We need to breathe. When we breathe, when we breathe, we breathe in physical air. But the reality of that physical air is, according to John 20, 22, is the Lord himself as the spirit. We need, we need water. When we drink this water, go, 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 then the refreshment, the quenching of thirst that we have is a picture of the Lord in his abiding us, uh, moistening our, our inner being. As you know, same, same with the bread of life, the tree of life within us, feeding us. Okay. 
So, each one of you in your daily living takes care primarily and firstly of your necessities. Then after your necessities, there are other things that maybe aren't so needed or are secondary. The fact that, the fact that he is our necessities, our most basic thing indicates that from there, he is also to become the reality of the secondary things to the fact that, as you know, especially based on the book of Colossians, he is the reality of every positive thing. Again, this is not pantheism. This is that the spiritual reality that every physical, every material matter as a shadow points to. And when we experience in the material realm that material thing as a shadow, and it triggers in us an experience of the Lord himself as a reality, then our experience of having our necessities and the secondary things cause our daily living to be a living in which we more and more fully and more and more completely abide in Him. So, did you not enjoy in the life study of Ezekiel where it stated strongly, where it stated strongly, that when, well, I'll combine here life study of Psalms and and Ezekiel. When the Lord created the material creation, he intended it to be a wedding parlor. The material creation is to be a wedding parlor for the union of two intended spouses. Then, that's life study of Psalms, life study of Ezekiel says that because the Lord... is so inclusive in his reality that the only way all that he is could be expressed is that if in his wisdom in the physical creation he created every single thing to be an expression of what he is. Every material thing is a reflection of a spiritual aspect of Christ. So a dragonfly's wing Um, one of those tropical fish, all those things, whatever they are, whatever form of life, all these things that are attractive, lovely, including your physical necessities, point, point to him. Point to him. So when in the material realm, you realize that you're in the wedding parlor and everything in your physical environment was intended to express and represent him as a meeting place. Not that that thing is him, but that thing is a meeting place where you would rendezvous in the wedding parlor and touch and enjoy him. Then everything becomes an opportunity to be with him. And what is this? This is abiding in him. And then can you imagine how much he abides in you? So how about your living? When you take your physical necessities 
your breath, your air, your water, your food, your light, your actual, actual physical home? Do you have the realization, oh Lord, what this is doing for me in the physical realm represents what you want to be and what you are to me in the spiritual realm. And Lord, I love you for this. Thank you for this. And uh, this just changes the profile and the fragrance of your daily living from being something stark, something sometimes disappointing, arduous or difficult. It's exhilarating. It's exciting. It's ever new. No two days are the same. And with this point of view, you abide in Him. He abides in you. And everything that you experience will be brought into Him to be preserved for you and for Him to be enjoyed for eternity. Uh, So, the tree of life from the aspect of John 15.4 is a great matter. Whether you're an old fruit or a new fruit, whether you're young or old, this is something for us to explore, to apply, to pray for one another regarding, to encourage one another regarding. And this promises to intensify, to uplift, to reinforce, and to strengthen your experience of Christ and your experience of the church. So I'll stop here for this one, and then we'll go on in the next session.